another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a Monday night. Football Monday, November 13th, 2017. Kicking off the show, a little Abacab by Genesis. Big show to get to tonight. We've got lots of NFL, we've got lots of college football, and a little NBA. But we begin with the NFL. And um, actually, prior to that, I gave you guys a little bit of a little background on myself uh, for those of you who may be first time listeners. Um, The teams that I like football, Detroit Lions, basketball, the Knicks, baseball, the Mets, college football. University of Maryland and college basketball as well, since that is my alma mater. And then, of course, I also am a, a Georgia fan. I also like USC, LSU, teams that I always find in, I find interesting to watch and I will root for um, as well. But the reason why I'm a Lions fan, I think, bears uh, explaining, since I'm uh, born and raised in, in Brooklyn, New York, uh, so pretty odd that I would like the Lions. Um and the reason why I like the Lions is because of my dad. Um, he is a huge Lions fan. And the reason that he's a Lions fan is because his dad was a Browns fan. His dad was from Ohio. Um, and in 1962, I believe, on Thanksgiving, and the Lions have been playing on Thanksgiving forever, uh, they played at that time the mighty Green Bay Packers, led by Bart Starr, and they had Paul Horning, the golden boy from Notre Dame, and Bunch Jerry Kramer and a bunch of bunch of superstars on the on those teams. Vince Lombardi, the legendary coach, and the Lions sacked Star eleven times in that game. My dad was, I believe, nine years old at the time, and uh, he fell in love with the team and was a Lions fan ever since. And when he met my mom, um, the first Thanksgiving that he ever spent with us, uh, I believe I was eight, and. Um, he sat me down and said, hey, um, well, I think he'd asked my mom if, she, if he could put the football game on. She agreed, which that in and of itself was amazing. But she was in the kitchen cooking, so I don't think she really cared. Um, and he asked me if I knew anything about football, that I liked football. And I said, no, not really, because I had never watched a football game uh, prior to that day. And, I mean, I was vaguely aware of the sport, of course, but I was not a fan by any stretch. And... Um, he sat me down, and we watched the game together, and he explained the game to me. Um, and, of course, I couldn't really pick it up at first. I didn't understand the whole, you know, there's four downs, but then you want to get back to first down. You know, I thought, well, four downs, four is better than one, and I didn't really kind of understand uh, not even the nuances, the basics of the game. But he was very patient with me and, and explained it to me, and um, it was, you know, it was probably our first real bonding moment. And... Um, Ever since then, I've, I've been a huge Lions fan. Um, so that, in a, in a nutshell, uh, is why I am a Detroit Lions fan. Of course, there were many Thanksgivings after that that ended in sheer misery. I believe the following year was the year of the shortest overtime game in the history of uh, the NFL. Only the Lions could be on that end and, of course, be part of that and be on the losing end, which they had a big lead against the Bears uh, I believe the Bears started quarterback. This is pre, you know, this is like probably 1980, I want to say, maybe 79, 1980. Um, it was pre, you know, the really good Bears teams with McMahon and Walter. I mean, Walter Payton was playing, but it was pre that 85 Bears defense, obviously. So 
Lions winning the whole game. I believe Bob Avellini was the starting quarterback for the Bears that day. He gets hurt. Lions knock him out of the game. I want to say the Lions had a 20-3 lead late in the fourth quarter. Not late in the fourth quarter, but going into the fourth quarter. Uh, Vince Evans comes off the bench, the mobile quarterback for the Bears, back up. Runs all over the place. Bears tie the game with about, mm, I don't know, 10 seconds left, uh, I think, to make it 20-20. to And then uh, Lions lose the coin flip. Obviously, in those days, it was sudden death. First score wins. Lions kick off. Uh, Eddie Williams, I believe, was the Bears kick returner. Uh, Returned the kick 100 yards for a touchdown. Good night. See you later. Game over. And I literally started crying. I, I, I had never... I mean, the thought that that would happen never even occurred to me. I mean, I was pretty – I remember being angry and, and Jim being angry that, the, you know, the game was going overtime. But you figured, okay, you know, well, we might be okay here. Certainly didn't expect that outcome. And I remember literally I'd never experienced anything like that before. I was finally invested in, in, in this team and that is how they, <laughs> that's how they repaid me. So I should have known back then it was going to be quite a bumpy ride uh, as a Lions fan uh, to say the least. So in any event – We'll kick it off with the Lions. Um, listen, I said it last week on the show. I didn't care how they beat the Browns. Just beat the Browns, find a way. I didn't care if it was 7-6, 10-9, 41-40, whatever. Figure out a way to beat the Browns. And look, they looked terrible at times. They were down 10 nothing. First three plays were all for negative yards, then a bad punt, not good punt coverage. Browns had good field position. First play of the game for the Browns is like a 35-yard completion down the sideline. Lions did kind of bow up and hold them the field goal there, but nevertheless, uh, Lions' second possession was an interception by Stafford. Browns scored a touchdown after that. 10-0, and things looked very bleak. Uh, of course, it was early, and this is the Browns that we're talking about. They were 0-8. Uh, so you certainly, I didn't think the Lions didn't have a chance to come back. Of course, I did. Stafford, that's what he does. But it was an ugly game. It was an ugly game, and guess what? Who cares? Don't care at all. Uh, of course, the Detroit media, all headline in the Detroit Free Press, you know, little to feel good about after the after Lions win. Um, I don't think so, because guess what? They're five and four instead of four and five. Would you have preferred they played a good game, quote unquote, and lost? Would that be better? Or um, I mean, who cares? And if the Lions go on for the last now seven games, right? They're five and four. Say for argument's sake, they go five and two down the stretch. That would make them ten and six. And we're going to get into the playoff scenarios in a second. Uh, or not in a second, but a little later in the show. But let's just say for argument's sake, the Lions go ten and six and make the play, win the division, make the playoffs. Does anybody need to care that on November twelfth they quote unquote struggled against the Browns, which they did? But guess what? They still won by two touchdowns. They were favored by 10, so they covered the spread and then some. They still won by two touchdowns. This wasn't like a miraculous pull a rabbit out of the hat, Stafford wizardry, you know, in the late in the fourth quarter to get them into, you know, a 55-yard field goal range and Prater kicks it through with no time left on the clock to barely eke by by the skin of your teeth. This wasn't that. Look, I get it. The Lions look terrible at times in this game. Their run defense was miserable. Okay, the offense struggled at times, although they ran the ball very well for them yesterday. They averaged five and a half yards a carry uh, on carries on runs by the running back. Stafford had two carries for about 20 yards himself, two scrambles. 
Um, so overall, they ran for over 100 yards as a team, which that's all they want to do. That's a weekly goal. That's all they want to do. They understand they're not a running team. They just want to get over 100 yards. And they did. And Stafford made big plays in the fourth quarter. We did Eric Ebron, who I kill pretty much on a weekly basis, finally showed up, beat a guy in man coverage. Lines split him out wide finally, which I think I talked about last week. I was talking that more about it maybe in the red zone, but nevertheless, split him out wide. Browns came with the with the blitz. Stafford saw it, did a little stop and go move on the strong safety who the, the Browns had covering him, beat him. Stafford lofted it up perfectly, touchdown. That gave the Lions the lead. And then on third and six, with about five minutes to go, again, Browns show an all-out blitz, you know, zero zero look. Basically, man-to-man, no safety in the middle of the field. Stafford audible to a, a wide receiver screen to Golden Tate. Executed perfectly. Two great blocks by wide receivers Marvin and TJ Jones. Right guard, Corey Robinson. Right tackle, Rick Wagner, get out in space as well to provide interference. Tate takes it to the house. Game, set, match. Pretty much. Now, the Browns got the ball back, drove down the field. You know, we're going to score. Maybe could have scored a touchdown and then would have had to recover an onside kick. Um, But Darius Slay put any uh, thought of that to bed by intercepting an attempted uh, lob pass from uh, Deshaun Kaiser, who, by the way, acquitted himself pretty well yesterday. Got knocked out of the game. Uh, and then came back in. So he showed a lot of... T- if you're a Browns fan, yesterday was easily the best game Deshaun Kaiser has played. Showed a lot of toughness. And he showed if you give him some time, he, he throws a pretty nice ball. I was surprised. I did not like him coming out of college. I did not think he... And listen, the, the, the book is far still... You know, the book is still way out on him. He had a decent game yesterday. Um, he ran the ball pretty well, too. Um, but uh, look, again... In, in, in seven weeks, how the lines looked in this game could be completely irrelevant. Now, of course, the danger is there are some things in this game that, that may be chronic problems, which is the fact that since Haloti not has gone out, the lines can't stop the run, and they were horrible at it yesterday, giving up over 200 yards on the ground. Um, also, I think what played a factor is the Browns had a bye, so they had basically two weeks to prepare prepare for this game. Lions coming off a short week, an emotional win on Monday night against the Packers. And I always hate teams coming off. Those, I said it last week, and it was borne out again yesterday. So, and you saw the Lions did make adjustments as they went on, and they did shut the Browns out in the fourth quarter. So, listen, not their best performance by any stretch of the imagination. Guess what? Don't care. It's a W. Wins a win. You know, this isn't college, okay? This isn't Ohio State versus Kent State in week two. Or Alabama versus, you know, uh, UAB. They don't have a football team anymore, I don't think. But you get my point, all right? This is still the pros. And by the way, the Browns, I understand the record was bad. They were in about four games this year. They easily could have won. I mean, they lost by field goal to the Jets. Then they, I told, I talked about that last week. They turned the ball over three times in the red zone, right? Their defensive line is very good. Talked about it on the show last week. Showed up yesterday. Emmanuel Ogba, who I talked about last week, two sacks yesterday and a batted ball. Miles Garrett had a quiet game, provided a little pressure here and there, had a bit of a quiet game. Taylor Decker back at left tackle for the Lions made a big difference. In that regard, as my head coach would say. 
But the Browns' D-line is good. Their linebackers are good. And on offense, they put a lot of money into that offensive line. Now, I understand their starting left tackle, you know, future Hall of Famer Joe Thomas is hurt. But the rest of that offensive line, they invested very heavily in, either in draft picks or free agency. And they've got two good backs. Isaiah Crowell is a good running back, and so is Duke Johnson. You know, Duke Johnson is, is very akin to a Theoretic and or an Amir Abdullah. Similar type of back. He's a good player out of the U. And Isaiah Crowell is a good player. Kenny Britt is a lion killer. <laughs> he killed the Lions on the Rams last year, and he had a touchdown again yesterday. And, you know, David Njoku, the tight end from Miami, he didn't have much of a game yesterday, but he's a talented player. So they've got talented players on that team. They are not devoid of talent. Now, their coaching leaves something to be desired at times, as evidenced by the fact that they try to quarterback sneak from the three-yard line with 15 seconds left and no timeouts at the end of the first half. But this is the pros. And these guys have prime. And they're playing for jobs. Not on maybe and maybe not on their team, but maybe for another team. As the saying goes, the other guys get paid too. And yes, I get it. The record is bad. They've got talent on that team. So take the win, move on. Now go into Chicago this week and figure out a way to beat the Bears, which sets up which will set up a huge game on Thanksgiving against the Vikings. All right, now we'll go around the league. First game we'll talk about is Dallas Atlanta. And listen, everybody's talking about, you know, the fact that Ezekiel Elliott now the suspension's back on. He didn't play yesterday. Uh, Atlanta waxed Dallas 34-7. AG came over to the to the Hayden compound yesterday to watch that game with me. Clearly, he was not thrilled. But the biggest reason the Cowboys lost that game yesterday had nothing to do with Ezekiel Elliott. It was that their starting left tackle, Tyron Smith, was out. And Adrian Claiborne, who never had more than six sacks in a season, had six sacks yesterday going up against the Cowboys' backup left tackle, Chaz Green. And throw in for good measure the fact that Sean Lee, the leader of their defense, middle linebacker, well, I guess he plays kind of all over the field at linebacker. But in any event, he makes all the calls. He gets the guys lined up in the right spot. He went out early in the game with a hamstring injury. Guy's a great player, can never stay healthy. So you add those two factors in. And then, yes, of course, not having Elliott is not ideal. But an intact Dallas offensive line, Sean Lee on the defense, you know what? They, they got enough to get by with Morris. And maybe McFadden and uh, Rod Smith back there. But here's the other thing. Atlanta was due. Atlanta has been kind of very up and down this year. Uh, They were due to have one of these kinds of games at home in their new building. They've not been good at home this year. So you add up all those factors, not that surprising, frankly. So now Atlanta's 5-4, Dallas is 5-4, but this is a major issue for the Cowboys moving forward. If Tyron Smith is going to be out for an extended period of time... They're going to be in major trouble. And same thing on defense without Sean Lee. Because Dallas' secondary is not very good. And their D-line has played very well this year, actually. Demarcus Lawrence has played very well. David Irving, since he came back from suspension, has played very well. Malik Collins, I mean, they, it's a pretty good D-line. I'm surprised. Did not think it was going to be good. It's been pretty good. 
But their linebackers struggle without. I mean, Hitchens is a good player. Jalen Smith, the kid from Notre Dame, uh, still has a you know long ways to go before he's a player. Shows flashes here and there, but he's way way far too inconsistent. But not to be you know that's it, to be expected. He's essentially this is essentially his rookie year. He's a redshirt last year. So and their secondary isn't very good. And, you know, listen, Prescott was, I mean, no quarterback could have played well yesterday under those circumstances. He got sacked eight times. Sacked eight times and, you know, pressured several other times. Claiborne could have had seven sacks. He had one where he had him, it looked like he had uh, Prescott dead to rights and he somehow managed to uh, wriggle free. So if they're not going to have their starting left tackle moving forward, it's going to be a major issue. And by the way, uh, Jason Garrett can sit there with his coach speak all he wants in a post-game press conference, which I happen to watch, uh, and try to tell me that they, they tried to do things. Uh, they did nothing. They did not help him one bit. And I can tell you, as a fan of a team that lost their left tackle to start the year and had to go with a guy in Greg Robinson who wasn't very good, at least the line, I'll give him credit, they gave him a lot of help with Darren Fells, the big giant 270-pound tight end. They put him on that side and gave him help a lot. They kept backs in the chip on guys a lot. Cowboys barely did that at all yesterday. And AG pointed it out. Their coaching staff is very stubborn. Well, uh, stubborn turned into almost gross negligence yesterday. That was a joke. Zero adjustment made. I mean, maybe after the third sack? Where the where uh, Adrian Claiborne ran right past Chaz Green, you might want to think about bringing a tight end over to that side and helping him out. Now, listen, Adrian Claiborne's a nice player. Again, he never had more than six sacks in a season. I mean, he's okay. He's a serviceable starting defensive end. So Dallas looks to be in major trouble now moving forward, and the Falcons. I you know. I don't know how much you take away from this game. Again, I think they were kind of due. You know, Julio Jones is gutting it out. You can tell he's not right, though. Matt Ryan has had a very inconsistent year. He hasn't played anything like he's played last year. And Devontae Freeman went out of the game yesterday with a concussion, and he's been already ruled out for next week and maybe the week after. Now, Tevin Coleman is, is not a bad consolation prize. He's a very good back in his own right. But, you know, it's obviously better for the Falcons when they've got that one-two punch going. So we'll see. Saints went on the road and waxed the Bills. Saints, by the way, hottest team in football right now. After their 0-2 start, where their defense gave up a ton of points and yards the first two weeks. They're now 7-2. Defense has got it together. They rushed for about 300 yards yesterday. Ran the ball. Not through. Ran. Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara went bananas and then throw in Trey Edmonds for good measure for nine carries, 48 yards, who, by the way, somehow couldn't play for the Maryland Terrapins last year. Couldn't play for them. Could play for the Saints in the NFL, but couldn't play for the Maryland last year. That's interesting. Uh, so they ran all over the Bills who going into the game had a, a decent run defense, at least from a ranking standpoint. Went on the road, and look, it wasn't terrible weather up there in Buffalo. It was still an outside game, and it was cold up here in the Northeast this week. So I can't imagine it was any warmer than 40 degrees there yesterday. And they put a hurting on the Bills, 47-10. to 10. Saints looked like they're legit. 
And I guess they're doing okay without Adrian Peterson, huh? Now listen, I said it back, I think, in the summer. I don't understand why they signed him in the first place. Ingram's good, and Kamara's good. And then you got now Drew Brees doesn't have to do everything and put the whole game on his shoulders. Not that he couldn't do it in the past, but, you know, he's also 38 years old, I think. And again, that defense is playing well. And the Bills, after their promising 5-2 and two starter, you know, come back to the pack now, lost, having lost two in a row. And by the way, just another sort of postscript to the Lions thing. Um, the Steelers barely beat the Colts yesterday, okay? So, I mean, this happens all the time in the NFL. Steelers were down 17-3 going into the fourth quarter against the Colts. Now, granted, the game was in Indy, but, I mean, the Colts are pretty much playing out the string. Now, Jacoby Brissett isn't because he wants a job. And it might be in Indy because now who knows about Andrew Luck? No timetable set for his return at all. It's a shoulder injury. You hope his career isn't over, but it might be. And Brissett has looked good at times for the Colts. But they're not a great team, obviously. And Pittsburgh, you know, Pittsburgh has gotten into this habit now of playing down in their competition. I mean, they lost to the Bears earlier in the year. You know, they, they had that horrible game against Jacksonville. Who Jacksonville's not a bad team. That Their defense looks like it's pretty legit. But, you know, it was a sloppy loss, right, with the five picks by Roethlisberger. Even though they beat the Lions, they didn't look all that great in that game at times. Pretty slot, some sloppy play there, too. But they're 7-2. and two. But, again... They needed a field goal with about, you know, 10 seconds left to beat the Colts yesterday. So I don't want to hear about, you know, you having to apologize for wins in the NFL. It's, it's, it's idiotic. And then, of course, the Hayden Jinx in effect. Just when I praised the Jets last week, they go on the road to Tampa Bay and lay an absolute egg. I mean, what a stinker. Just a hideous game. You know, you had the, the the former bad journeyman Jets quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick, playing for Tampa. Then you had McCown starting for the Jets, but he also played for Tampa. I mean, you had basically the two oldest journeymen, very, the very definition of a journeyman quarterback would be Ryan Fitzpatrick and Josh McCown. It was a journeyman quarterback bowl yesterday. And Tampa's journeyman quarterback was slightly better than the Jets' journeyman quarterback. I mean, the Jets had you know eight penalties again yesterday, shooting themselves in the foot right and left. The pass rush, which had looked promising in weeks prior, only got them one sack yesterday. Their old line, which had played better recently, was bad yesterday. Gave up six sacks at Tampa Bay, which had been struggling with their pass rush. So, look, again, I, I think this season, regardless of record for the Jets, is something to build on because you've established that you've got some good core players in important positions moving forward. Now, you need a left tackle. You need probably a stud running back, obviously a quarterback. You know, another receiver would be nice, but this Austin Safarian Jenkins had a really nice game again yesterday. Jets may have found themselves finally a, a, a more than capable tight end. And on defense, they've got pieces. Now they've got some decisions to make about Mo Wilkerson. You know, Mo Claiborne, of course, the guy they signed from the Cowboys, can't stay healthy. He was playing well. Now he's hurt again. But, you know, the young safety tandem, some good players at linebacker, some good young D linemen. 
So, anyway. And then maybe the funniest, two of the funnier side stories in the NFL are Jerry Jones now, shockingly, is all mad at Roger Goodell. He's trying to claim it's because of Goodell's compensate. What could, you know, they're, they're renegotiating Goodell's package. And if they're going to re-sign him to a contract. And Jerry Jones is claiming that his demands are outrageous. But really what this about, of course, is the Zeke Elliott suspension. So now Jerry Jones is threatening to sue other owners. And the one guy he really went after was Arthur Blank, the owner of the Falcons, because he heads the compensation committee amongst the owners for the NFL. And suppose he already agreed to this package for Goodell, which is outrageous. I mean... $49.5 million salary, which sounds like a lot, and it is. He's had years past where he made $44 million, so it's not a huge raise. I think last year he only, quote-unquote, made 30 Roger Goodell has made $200 million since he's been commissioner of the NFL. $200 million. And yet he asked for lifetime use of a private jet and lifetime health insurance for his family even upon his retirement. Roger, what are you doing with that money, buddy? You, you, th- you think you could spring for health insurance with the $200 million you made plus another fifty you're going to make? Plus, by the way, he was an executive in the NFL prior to becoming the commissioner. I'm pretty sure he wasn't working for free. He wasn't an intern. <laughs> I mean, the goal. And, gee, I, I'm sorry, you may have to slum it and use wheels up instead of your own private jet? Or I, I think after you make $200 million and maybe another fifty. You could probably afford to fly private, couldn't you? You may not be able to own your own private jet, but I think you could probably afford to fly private. Real man of the people, huh? The the Marie Antoinette of the NFL. (laughs) Unbelievable. Let them fly, coach. All right, we'll take a short break, and we'll be back right after this. And we are back here on a Monday football, football Monday edition of Jamal About Sports. Taking us back from out of the break, loving Rockets with Ball of Confusion, which brings us to the college playoff picture, which uh, very well could be a ball of confusion by the time we are all think it's all said and done. So, uh, great weekend. We talked about it last week. Big games. We had Georgia versus Auburn, Alabama, Mississippi State, Miami, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, TCU, and uh, Wisconsin, Iowa. And right now, you'd say the big winners from the weekend would be Wisconsin because it's some they need teams to lose, and they need to keep winning, and they won. They beat Iowa, beat them pretty handily at home. Now, they didn't look great doing it. Couple of pick sixes by uh, this kid. What's this kid's name from Iowa? Oh, for crying out loud! I believe his last name is Jackson. Cornerback had a pick six uh, the week before against Ohio State. I think he had two. 
uh, against Wisconsin this week. So Wisconsin was a little sloppy at first, kind of ugly, a little uneven. Um, but their defense played great, and they've got a good defense. Again, I, we talked about this last week. That's, that's, what, that's what Wisconsin does. Okay, Wisconsin plays great defense. They run the ball. Uh, they don't have a great passing game. They're a one-dimensional team. Their passing game is a slightly better this year than it's been years past, but uh, put it this way. If they have to ever play Oklahoma, forget it. No shot. No shot. But a good weekend for them. Good weekend for Oklahoma. They blew out TCU. Blew them out. And Oklahoma probably right now is the most fun team to watch in the country. If you like offense, fast-paced offense, Oklahoma is your team. Baker Mayfield, their quarterback, he's got a lot of Russell Wilson in him. He's tough as nails, not the biggest guys, maybe six feet tall, maybe. But he runs, he likes to try to run through people. Now look, he runs, run, rubs some people the wrong way, he's very chirpy. You know, he did the whole plant the flag thing at Ohio State. He play on my team any day. Guy plays his tail off. And throws a beautiful ball. And they've got this kid Anderson now in the backfield. It basically looks like Joe Mixon 2.0. Can catch the ball, can run the ball. He had a big game. So Oklahoma, good week for them. Also good week for Miami. Waxing Notre Dame. I mean, that game wasn't even close. And basically, what was the final? 34-8. to eight. Big pick six at the end of the half. Where Notre Dame maybe had a chance to get back in that game. But what that game said to me is uh, Miami, I mean, this looks like vintage Miami. This looks like your father's Miami team, the Jimmy Johnson and then Dennis Erickson days. They're fast. They're athletic. They've got a good front four. This Berrios, the receiver, is a really good player. The quarterback is good. I mean, they've got a good running back and Homer. That. It's a good team. It's a good team. And maybe, just maybe, Mark Richt will finally get that monkey off his back. All those years at Georgia with all those 9, 10, even 11 win seasons but could never get over the hump, could never beat Alabama. Maybe now, change of scenery, reinvigorated. Even he admitted his last couple years at Georgia were a slog. He was miserable. He was not happy there. You know, the weight of the expectations, finally too much to handle, understandable. And look, Miami, it's a good program, obviously. It's it's not been great recently. Had a lot of ups and downs. You had the, you know, the Larry Coker years, the Randy Shannon years, the Al Golden years. So, but Mark Rick's a good coach. We know that. And they looked great. So Notre Dame, adios, you're done. Two losses, goodbye. No more national championship for you. By the way, Ohio State went. Looks like they got. They were a little. They were a little annoyed by their performance at Iowa, against Iowa the week prior at Iowa. They waxed Michigan State right out of the building. Biggest margin of defeat under Mark D'Antonio. Head coach for Michigan State. Barrett much better again this week than he was against Iowa. Uh, I believe the final there was 48-3. to 
just absolute domination. And guess what? Ohio State, I'm going to predict this. Ohio State's going to run the table, right? They've got Michigan still left to play. They will beat Michigan. Michigan, I watched some of Michigan against Maryland this week. And Maryland, as we all know, is not very good. Uh, Michigan's not great. It's not a great team. Ohio State will beat Michigan. And they will beat Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game. As a matter of fact, let's go to the Big Ten standings if we can. Oh, you know what? Time Warner uh, cable, internet access, Wi-Fi could be the worst Wi-Fi in the history of the world. I'm glad I pay $80 a month for this junk. I mean, this is unbelievable. The thing works for about 15 minutes. And then every single time I've got to come back to it and I've got to turn the Wi-Fi off. I got to go search for my network and then hit it on again. And now it says I'm not connected, even though the little bars up there say I am. I mean, it's enraging on a level. Okay, are we going to work now, finally? Now, huh? Now? Yeah, this is good. This is good. Hold on. I mean, this is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. You've got to be kidding me. How is this? I mean, what a disaster. Okay, finally. Thank you very much for doing me the honor of actually working for me, Time Warner Cable Wi-Fi. Thank you so much. All right. (laughs) Let's go to standings. Let's go to the Big Ten, shall we? And take a look because I am pretty sure. Okay, so Ohio State. 6-1 6-1 and one in the Big Ten East. They've won the Big Ten East, I'm pretty sure. Michigan's already got two losses. Well, no, maybe not. I guess they have to beat Michigan to, uh, to, to lock that up. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're running the table. They've got Illinois, who stinks, and then they've got Michigan the last game of the year uh, right after Thanksgiving. So uh, Ohio State will be 10-2. And they will be playing Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship, and they will beat Wisconsin. So, Wisconsin, enjoy it now. Unfortunately, you are not making uh, the Final Four. Now, I don't think there's a path for Ohio State with two losses to make it. One loss, they definitely had a path. Two, probably not. If any two-loss team could get in, it would be Auburn, because Auburn, after waxing my Georgia Bulldogs on Saturday— put themselves in the mix now because George of uh, Auburn plays Alabama in the Iron Bowl and then if they beat Alabama then they're going to play Georgia in the SEC championship game so if Auburn were to beat Georgia twice and Alabama Alabama is going to be ranked one now after the rankings come out tomorrow they're going to be back to one right they're still undefeated yeah, granted, uh, it took them the last possession of the game to beat Mississippi State. Mississippi State's a decent team. They're ranked 16th. It was at Mississippi State in Starkville. It's a tough place to play. You got those the, the fans going nuts with the cowbells. And Mississippi State played a good game. And, you know, I didn't know much about the Mississippi State team. I hadn't really watched them play this year. Um, I did watch them beat up on LSU earlier. I didn't realize their offensive line is good. They got a bunch of big athletic dudes. I mean, these guys all look like they can play in the pros. And they got a good back. And their quarterback, that Fitzpatrick kid, he is impressive. He can run, but by the way, also can throw. He's got a good arm. Now, they don't throw it that much. But, look, they gave Alabama all they could handle. 
And, you know, Alabama missed a field goal. And when Alabama has had issues, it's always with the kicking game, right? Where there was a couple of missed field goals one year. They kicked six against Auburn a few years back where they missed a long field goal. And the guy in Auburn returned the ball, you know, 110 yards for a touchdown the other way. I mean, that's their one bugaboo is the kicking game. But what saved Alabama's bacon on Saturday night was not their vaunted defense under defensive guru and head coach Nick Saban. It was that quarterback Jalen Hurts, who is a tremendous player. Sophomore, cool as a cucumber, extremely poised, big play after big play, whether it's throwing or running. He's got a lot of Dak Prescott in him. And uh, he bears watching. I think he's going to be playing on Sundays in a couple of years. So, you know, look, everybody always thinks Alabama in defense, and I, I get it, understandably, but their offense is really good, too. I mean, they have put a bunch of guys in the pros on offense the last few years, too, like Amari Cooper, Kenyon Drake, Henry, uh, before he basically ate himself out of the league. Uh, Oh, my goodness. Now, Eddie Lacy. So, I mean, they're not they're not nothing. You know, the, the kid, the, the Darius Stewart, the guy that dra- Jets drafted in the third round this year. I mean, you know, O.J. Howard, the tight end. I mean, they're stacked on both sides of the ball. So, in any event, Bama will be one. Oh, the other big loser in the weekend was Washington. Not that they probably had a path anyway, because the Pac-12 is kind of having a down year. But they lost to Stanford, so that's it for them. They're done. You're not going to get a one-loss team from the Pac-12 in the Final Four. So I would think that after this past weekend, when they come out the rankings tomorrow, you're going to have Bama at one. Miami should be number two. They're undefeated, and they just blew out Notre Dame. I'd say Oklahoma three, and then probably Clemson four, Georgia five, Wisconsin six, or Wisconsin five and Georgia six, something like that. And by the way, Georgia still has a path too, because if they win out and then beat Alabama in the national championship game, they're going to go in. And let's take a look at their schedule, shall we? Let's take a look at the, no, that's not what I wanted to do. Hold on just a second. Let's take a look at Georgia. Bear with me one second here. Amazingly. Okay, let's go. Georgia. So Georgia's got Kentucky at home. Look, Kentucky is 7-3 overall. They're 4-3, and they had that ridiculous loss to Florida where they didn't have – they had 10 guys on the field late in the game, and Florida scored a touchdown late to win. So they they really should be 5-2 and two in the conference and 8-2. And and so – Kentucky's no pushover. You don't think, you know, when you hear Kentucky, you don't think decent football. They're not bad. 
So that may not be, you know, and you'll, we'll see if there's a big, if there's a hangover effect after getting put to him by Auburn this week. But let's say for argument's sake they win that game and then they go to they go play Georgia Tech, big rivalry game. Let's say for argument's sake they win out. No guarantee, but let's just say they do. And then they go beat Alabama in the SEC championship game. Tall order, I know, but uh, they're going to go in. So there's still a path for them. They're not done by long shot. And that game against Auburn, look, give Auburn a lot of credit. They're a good team. Uh, Georgia did everything you could possibly do to lose that game. They had two big pass plays early in the game that they missed on. They had a guy wide open for a touchdown twice, missed the throw both times. No, sorry. First time, the throw was a little bit off. Second time, the guy got sacked. Uh, missed a field goal at the end of the half when it was still a game. Uh, dumb penalties. We're off the field, did the leaping thing where you're not allowed to jump up and over the, the punt protectors in college football. Did that, gave Auburn a fresh set of downs. They scored a touchdown after that. Georgia looked a little too amped up in that game to me. They looked just too hyper. They a lot, Again, just a lot of dumb penalties. Misplay, a couple of plays here and there they just missed. Usually a good tackling team. They missed a bunch of tackles. Again, I'm not trying to take anything away from Auburn. They played a good game. They deserve to win. But I think the moment got a little too big for Georgia there. I think they were a little too hyped up for that game. But I still think I still believe in their talent. I think the Fromm kid is 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 a better passer than kid, people give him credit for. That Wims number six, a good wide receiver. And obviously we know about Michelle and Chubb in the backfield. So, look, it was a fun weekend. I mean, the games weren't great. The best game of the weekend was Alabama-Mississippi State. That was definitely the best game as far as drama was concerned. Uh, Again, from a sheer sort of entertainment standpoint, Oklahoma is always fun to watch. If you like to watch a great offense, click on all cylinders, both in the run and the pass game. And then, you know, if you're an anti-Notre Dame guy like me, you love watching them get their doors blown off by Miami. Not that I'm a big fan of Miami's, but given the choice of the two, I'll take Miami any day. All right. We will take a short break. And then we'll... and we are back here on another edition of Jamal About Sports. Uh, I just realized, I'm going to do something I've never done on the show before. I just realized I was going to talk about the NFC playoff picture. Completely forgot to do that. So you know what? We're going to go back, we're going to regroup here, and we're going to talk about the NFC playoff picture. So, listen, I know there's still seven games to go, a lot yet to be decided, but let's take a look at it anyway. So, right now you've got the Eagles at 8-1 and one in the NFC East, the Vikings leading their division at 7-2. and two. Saints leading at seven and two in the South. The Rams leading at seven and two. Right now, your 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 wild card teams would be the Seahawks at six and three and the Panthers at six and three. And then in contention, Atlanta five and four, Lions five and four, Packers five and four, Cowboys five and four. But you go to schedules and you look at who's healthy and you look at remaining schedules. And there's clearly a path for the Lions to win their division. 
Um, but there is, there's also a path for them to maybe make it as a wild card. Um, and here's the thing. The Seahawks are banged up. They just lost Richard Sherman for the year. Uh, Camp Chancellor is banged up. Um, CJ Procise, one of the running backs, is banged up. Dwayne Brown, the left tackle he just traded for from the Texans, is banged up. Seahawks have issues. Now, you don't count them out. Russell Wilson's really good. They still have some good players on defense. Bobby Wagner, probably the best middle linebacker in the sport. Still have some good defensive linemen and Sheldon Richardson and Frank Clark and Michael Bennett. So you don't count them out. But they're real banged up right now. Panthers play tonight against Miami. I need them to lose. I need Cam to have a good game so I can win my fantasy game for the week. But I need them to lose to go to 6-4. and four. Lions lose a tiebreaker because they lost to the Panthers earlier this year. Falcons at 5-4. and four. You know, look. They, they have been fits and starts all year. Lions, obviously, 5-4. and four. Lions' schedule, as we talked about last week, looks favorable, right? They're at the Bears this week. Going to be no picnic. Division games on the road never are. I don't care what the record of the other team is. The Bears have been in a million close games this year. That is not going to be easy. I could easily see the Lions lose that game. I'd, actually, I'd be surprised the Lions win that game, frankly. But let's just say for argument's sake they do, then that sets up a huge matchup with Minnesota on Thanksgiving. Now, Minnesota and then the Lions play like Baltimore, Tampa Bay, the Bengals. Um, Well, you know what? We'll give you the Lions schedule here. So at the Bears... Home Thanksgiving Vikings at the Ravens, who are under 500, at Tampa Bay, under 500, home against the Bears, at the Bengals, under 500, home against the Packers, most likely without Aaron Rodgers. I mean, if you can't go 5-2, and two, you don't deserve to get in the playoffs. You just don't. So it's all there for them. And remember, they've beaten the Vikings once already. If they were to beat them again, if they obviously finish in a tie, they'll beat them in the tiebreaker. So it's all there for them. Now, the Vikings, 7-2, rolling along. Case Keenum looks like Tommy Kramer all of a sudden. Uh, although Teddy Bridgewater's back and Mike Zimmer's saying there's a plan for him to play. I mean, listen, I understand... You know, Case Keenum looked great early yesterday, threw a couple of bad picks late in that game, got the Redskins back in the game. Um, But I don't know how you don't roll with Case Keenum right now. He's played well for them. So the Vikings schedule down the stretch, they've got the Rams at home this week. That'll be an interesting game. Rams have been putting up points every week. Defense playing better. I mean, look, they played a, a toothless Texans team yesterday without Deshaun Watson. I, I don't take a lot from that game. Uh, but so no easy task there. Then at the Lions on Thanksgiving. Then they're at the Falcons, at the Panthers. Not easy games. Home against the Bengals. Figure that's a win. At Green Bay, tough game. I don't care if Rodgers isn't playing. And then home against the Bears. So... Look, I'm going to give them the Bengals game, the Bears game, because they're home games. That's nine wins. Falcons, Panthers, 
Packers, Lions, four of those. Let's say they win one of those. Hopefully it's not one of them isn't the Lions. You know, that's 10 and 6. Again, Lions, they control their own destiny, basically. It looks bad right now, 5 and 4 to 7 and 2. Lions, they don't need any help. They control their own destiny right now. So, it's all there. It is all there for them. All right. We finish with a little NBA and a little Knicks, which, again, we talked last week. It's a fun team. They, of course, then went out and laid an egg against Orlando, although Porzingis didn't play. He was resting. He was a little banged up. Smart move. Let him rest earlier in the year. I think, you know, there's far less back-to-backs in the NBA now. So um, he had played, what, that Sunday? That game, I think, was a Tuesday uh, or maybe it was a Wednesday. I don't remember. Anyway, he got like four days off as a result. Then they came back and blew out the Kings. Look, the Kings aren't any good. That's fine. Porzingis had 34 points in 26 minutes. Cantor with another double-double, 17 and 13. And they absolutely blew the Kings out, which, guess what? That's what good teams do. You beat bad teams that you're supposed to beat when you're at home and you blow them out. So good for them. And now they get, they get the Cavs in, in the garden tonight in about half an hour. So that should be fun. But again, I mean, Porzingis, now 7-5 and five the Knicks are. He has scored 30 or more, I believe, in 9 of the 12 games. Well, he hasn't played in all 12. He's played in 11. So in 9 of the 11 games he's played in, scored 30 or more points. And again, I cannot stress enough how much not having Carmelo Anthony here and Derrick Rose here also, for that matter, what an improvement that is just overall from just a psyche standpoint. You can see it. This team likes playing with each other. And, and, and also getting rid of that dopey, moronic triangle offense of, the, you know, big, big chief triangle Phil Jackson. I mean, the Knicks move the ball. They share the ball. They play with fast tempo. Now, look, they've got issues on defense. No question about it. But you see there's effort there. Guys are trying. They may blow some assignments from time to time. They don't defend the three very well. But Porzingis can block shots down low. Kylo Quinn, I mean, that guy just does something good every game, the backup center. I mean, even the other night in like 15 minutes against the Kings, he had four assists and five rebounds and two block shots. And, and, and only, I think it was 12 or 15 minutes. So they got a nice little thing going. Again, they're fun to watch. And I'll leave you with this. Team to keep an eye out for. And you, you know, if you live in New York, you probably never see them. But New Orleans. They've got probably the best two-headed monster down low in the NBA with Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins. Those guys are monsters. Drew Holiday is an okay, decent, probably above-average point guard. This Etienne Moore has played well. And then they've got Rajon Rondo on that team. He's hurt. But assuming he comes back, uh, they could be dangerous. They could be a dangerous team early on here. Oh, and then the other one are the Bucks. I mean, this Giannis Antetokounmpo is unbelievable. I watched them play against the Spurs the other night where, I mean, that was sort of a coming-of-age game. They got Eric Bledsoe from the Suns to pair with Malcolm Brogdon as a one-two punch at the point, and Antetokounmpo is just unbelievable. 
I mean, he he's 6'11". He can dribble like a point guard. I mean, it, there's really quite a, uh, a revolution going on in the NBA with guys that are so tall like him, Porzingis, Anthony Davis, who I just mentioned. I mean, these guys are all 6'10", 6'11", and they all can shoot. Well, Antetokounmpo can't shoot, but, I mean, he does things like a guard as far as dribbling is concerned and handling the ball. Oh, and then you had Ben Simmons from Philly, who's 6'10", 6'11", plays point guard essentially for them right now. And now he can't, he's not a great shooter either, but he's a great passer. And then you've got Porzingis, who can shoot the three, who's developed a low post and a, mid, and a mid-range game, can beat guys off the dribble at 7'3". It's incredible. It's a whole new wave of player in the NBA. And, get, and, li- and listen to the names, right? Giannis is from Greece. Porzingis is from Latvia. I mean, the, the NBA game has been an international game for a long time, but, I mean, even more so now than ever. I mean, you used to have guys from, you know, some of the SSR countries, right? Arvita Sabonis and Drazen Petrovic and a couple of those guys here and there. But now it's literally almost every country is represented. It's crazy. All right, that'll do it for tonight's show. As always, thank you for listening. Check me out on iTunes, uh, on Twitter, at Sport no S, and on Facebook. Enjoy all the sports this week. We'll be, next, we'll be back next week with another show. And until then, peace out.